Welcome to the Commodity Culture Podcast, where we interview prominent investors in the commodity space to give you the inside scoop on the emerging commodity super cycle. And now, on to the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Commodity Culture, where we break down the commodity space for both new and experienced investors. And once again, we're here at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference and very honored to be joined by the president of Fennec Consulting, Mr. John Fennec. Great to talk to you again. Likewise, Jesse. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. Awesome to talk in person. So uh, first, I wanted to do a, a bit of a broader overview of the VRIC. What are some of the main themes coming out of this conference that you've noticed that you think are particularly important for investors to be paying attention to? Sure. So, I mean... Having enough cash in the balance sheet is being discussed, you know, amongst CEOs because we saw some companies last year fall short on that on that level, right? And uh, it woke a lot of people up in the industry and, and woke clients up. I mean, you know, something like Alexco was pretty shocking to see happen, considering with where, where the hopes and dreams were of that stock two or three years ago, right? So. I think when you have the opportunity to cash up, you need to take it. And that's one of the themes I'm seeing here. Um, you know, another is just, uh, you know, that, that, that there's a good vibe here. You know, it's like uh, I've been to conferences now for many years. And this is nice to attend a conference when we're actually in an uptrend, right? So the last time we, we talked, it was probably about 1,700 gold. And now we're at 1,925, 1,927. Yeah. So it's like people are, are interested in learning more um, both – on the investor level, but also some of the financial advisors I talk to that see, you know, that the S&P may peak out here around 4,200, and then we may go into a recession, if, in which case, you know, teach me about some other asset classes like mining that I don't know about. Yeah, that's great and makes total sense. Um, I want to go through some commodities with you and get your thoughts on where they stand currently in your mind and, and where you think they're headed. And I want to start with lithium because there's been a lot of talk about battery metals recently that's been trending. Lithium carbonate prices obviously did very well last year. Um, so I'm wondering where you see lithium positioned and do you think the EV side of things, there's all this talk about that we're going to convert our vehicle fleet into EVs by a certain time. Obviously, we can't predict, but do you think the investment thesis for lithium holds up if this EV revolution doesn't take place? Uh, there's definitely going to be a large sell-off if that were to occur um, because lithium prices have done extremely well. The, the largest ETF out there is LIT. And if you take a look at that chart over three, five years, I mean, it's done extremely well other versus other commodities. So there is a risk of a sell-off, you know, in lithium because it's 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 way ahead of say natural gas, silver, etc., in terms of price uh, appreciation. Um, but we like, um, you know, we like a couple of names in that space. One is Idaho Champion, which I mentioned on your program last time. We mentioned it at four cents. It hit seven cents U.S. Uh, in less than I don't know six weeks. I mean, it's it's up substantially because of their lithium purchase. So basically they bought a land package in Quebec. They're just buying up this region right near Patriot. And Patriot's one of the best mining stocks that I've seen over the last three or five years, right? So they 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 are you see companies doing this, right? It's not just about production, it's about land grab, you know, and 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 the stock is responding well as a result, and that's GLDRF in the States and ITKO in Canada. Another is Lithium Bank. Um, I've known Gianni, the, the founder there, co-founder, 
for three, four years. Um, he also was the former CEO of Copper Bank. Uh, Faraday is, is the new name now. But Lithium Bank is, is really interesting because they have two projects, both coming out with PEAs here in the first half of the year. So, you know, when people look for catalysts, that's a great catalyst, right? And you've got two of them coming in one stock. So that's LBNK in, the, in Canada and LBNKF in, in the States. Great. Yeah, Johnny, somebody, he lives in Zagreb, Croatia, where I'm at. So definitely planning to have him on the show this year. So look forward to that. Um, I wanted to move on to copper because, once again, there's a lot of talk, not only for the the push for the new green economy, but also just a rising middle class in the East. We're seeing more people able to access electricity. And, of course, we continue. We hope it continues moving in that direction, which means copper will be in demand there. So I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the copper space. And I've also heard people talking about if there is a deep enough recession that that could kind of stop a, a copper bull right in its track. So I'd like to get your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, taking the second question first, I agree. Um, copper will be affected because it is not like a precious metal, right? Gold and silver will protect in the case of an economic downturn eventually. It'll take some time, but it, it will happen. Um, copper is is a bullish commodity, so it's reacting that way right now, right? You've seen the, the, the impetus for this rally over the last two or three months to me was when China went away from their zero COVID policy. That's significant, and we got all over copper stocks as a result of that. Um, you know, we we as equity managers tend to go into the equities as opposed to buying the, the commodities unless they're super bombed out. Um, but copper's been in a beautiful uptrend here. So yes, I mean, I think in the near term it looks very good. It broke four dollars like butter, four dollars a pound. Uh, four fifty is problematic, and and you know the all time high is somewhat problematic. So you know that's going to happen. I think a revisit of those highs. You know, within the next 12 to 15 months, which is going to be bullish copper stocks, but uh, it'll be bumpy, you know, um, because it's, you know, we, we talk about all of this demand for copper and the electrification of the world and all this. But, you know, remember that, like, it takes sometimes months, years to get to that point where we see the commodity do well. Um, one of the comes th- things that comes to mind here is, Fuel cell stocks. You know, I got pitched fuel cell stocks in 1999 by a bunch of people that said, oh, you know, within three to five years, all these buses globally are going to have fuel cell adoption. And it's just happening over the last two to three years. It took 20 years plus for that to occur. So I, I, you know, from being in the business for 30 plus years, I, I look at things like that and remember things like that. And I think it's important to lose money along the way to teach you a lesson, you know. Right. And last time I had you on the show, we spoke quite a bit about gold and silver equities. Um, so why don't we touch on that again? And if you could let us know where you think the precious metals are positioned here. Obviously, central banks are accumulating gold at record levels. The fu- fundamentals are extraordinarily bullish. Um, how do you see gold and silver playing out from here? Yeah. So gold um, has rallied from our last interview around 1700 and changed to 1927 now. And that's a big move in a short period of time. So I, I do see near-term resistance there. Um, we've topped out around 1949. So 1960 is somewhat you know, problematic, but 2000, a big round number, as well as 2020. You know, those, are, those are hopeful takeouts here this year. Um, you know, all eyes are on the Fed February 1st. You know, it's not what will the Fed do. We all know it's a quarter point hike at this point. It's a 93% probability. But the comments from Powell are important, right? They always are. 
So I encourage all of your listeners to look at that, you know, press conference every single Fed meeting. Do not miss them because, you know, one, one of these conferences in the next six to nine months, he's going to pause and he's going to get dovish. And that is when you want to put money into the equity markets, you know, in mass because we're, we're, uh, you know, being a little more conservative than most, Jesse, you know, uh, Jeff Christian, myself, a few others have been calling for higher rates into 2023. But many of my peers were saying we would have had a cut already by now, you know, and, and that just hasn't happened. We're starting to see a slowdown, right, from 75 to 50, 50 to a quarter. But a quarter point hike is traditionally what we saw, you know, in, in recent history, not these 75s. And so if we, if the direction is still up, I'm still thinking we're going to get another dump in gold and silver stocks and gold and silver prices this year. Um, and that might be our last really good opportunity to load up. Well, let's shift to the energy sector, specifically oil and gas at this point. Um, obviously, the, the stage is kind of being set for, for oil in particular with the embargo of, of Russian oil as well as natural gas, of course, and decade plus of underinvestment in the sector. A lot of the equities in the oil and gas space are offering attractive dividends. They're buying back shares. And I personally think that the general trend, if, if we look out over the course of the next five years, the next decade, is very positive for oil and gas. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I think it's, it's, the trend is going to be uh, up. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, when we started our energy portfolio, um, you could have bought a lot of things really cheap. And now you have to pay up, uh, especially for the majors. Uh, I'm talking about oil stocks in particular, but um, we like to play, as, as you know, in the small and micro cap space a lot. So I still like, you know, Trillion Energy, which I mentioned on your program, probably about 27 cents. I think it's around 28 or so now. Um, they uh, basically went from um, looking at producing in eight wells to 11 wells recently. Um, Nat gas prices haven't helped the stock. I mean, gas has been in a huge downtrend since our last interview. Um, for your listeners, that's GAZ on the ETF side, um, or UNG if you want to deal with the K1, which we don't. Um, so, you know, that tracks the price of natural gas and it's been in a terrible downtrend, but we're getting much more interested in buying that commodity outright, you know, because it is so cheap. Um, yeah. And so energy, you know, I, I just remind people like what, what could go wrong is, is Russia pulls out of the Ukraine war, right? And, and basically then, energy prices tank in the near term, I think, you know, because we're at elevated levels because of that reason and what's happening overseas. And, and, and that, you know, will, will cause somewhat of a, a buying opportunity. Um, but to your point, I think the trend is still up. And so how do you think the reopening of China could potentially affect oil as well? Because I see a lot of analysts, a lot of commentators in the space specifically pointing to China reopening as potentially being a catalyst for the oil price. What are your thoughts there? Um, yeah, I don't follow that commentary as closely as I probably should. I, I, I mean, I just so much to look at every yeah. day, you know. Um, but um, I think, you know, I think of oil as a bullish commodity, right? So like, if it's not, it's not a protect, protective commodity like gold or silver is. Right. And so that's what I just want to remind people. Like as an energy portfolio manager, I'm 45% cash right now. And I'm okay with that because I'm waiting for something to happen. I don't know what that's going to be, but I'm not willing to pay up for Exxon and Chevron and all these names that I could have bought, you know, and did buy 
um, you know, three years ago at much lower prices. I think we will see a, a pullback in energy uh, at some point this year with with regards to the equities, and and, and that will be a buying off. But um, yeah, for now we're patient. Great. So I want to get your thoughts on exiting positions because this is a very sure. important question that a lot of investors ask themselves when they you know, build conviction, whether it's in a particular commodity, a particular company, everybody on Twitter is talking about this and that's going to go to the moon. Um, of course, we saw like in the last uranium bull run pre-Fukushima, prices went parabolic. But if you held on too long, you then lost all of your gains. So how does one know when the best time might be to liquidate a position and sell? And is there a strategy you use for that? Do you sell positions all at once or do you kind of get out of them slowly depending on, on what the position is? Yeah, I'll take the last part of that first. And and we exit names uh, usually in, in uh, uh, tiers, right? So we'll do a quarter percent or excuse me, 25% of the position, then another 25. We'll do, you know, maybe three, four sells instead of exiting all at once. Where we would exit all at once is when something changes and surprises us. Basically, that's on earnings. That's on um, you know something wrong with the balance sheets. Um, you see that a lot in junior mining, right? Where you know one thing is said, another thing actually happens, and you've got to go. <laughs> right. And you've got to take your losses. And it's, it's something that, um, you know, we were down last year. I'm not happy about it. I'm very competitive. Um, but I think that you know, I look at some of my peers, we're down double, you know, we're, we're able to survive an environment like that and then thrive in a month like January here where we're, we're doing great. We're up like 14% for the month. Um, so, you know, we've made back almost all of last year's losses in one month. You know, that's, that's, you know, and to your first part of your question, how do we do that? So we look at technicals more than the average portfolio manager and we're value managers, right? So, I look at a, uh, a website just to throw it out there, uh, stockta.com. So stockta.com is technical analysis. On the left-hand margin, you can see support and resistance for that stock. You just type the ticker in the top left corner. It says stop uh, support is this, resistance is that, and it gives different confidence levels as to where those you know prices are, right? And if you page down on any stock, you'll see what's called RSI, which stands for Relative Strength Index. Typically, a 20 to 30 RSI is is over uh oversold okay 70 to 80 is overbought so exiting we're exiting between 70 and 80 it's a really easy thing for a novice investor to start doing and and that way you're not going to get hurt in a downturn and you know uh, revert a lot of your profits back right so yeah i love that approach um so before i let you go you've mentioned a few different uh companies as we've been talking here we are at the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference. Obviously, Canada has a lot of pretty amazing mining jurisdictions and a lot of projects going on. What are some Canadian companies that you're currently looking at that, that you think may provide that you're either investing in or perhaps you're, you're watching that, that you think might become attractive buying opportunities up ahead? Sure. So I spent a lot of time here with Cartier Resources, which is uh, ECRFF. Um, Philippe uh, has a 30-year relationship with Agnico Eagle, which is the, their largest shareholder, right? So it's about 19% of the company is owned by Agnico. Um, so we look at those kind of things, Jesse, and say, why would a company that large have that big of a position in a stock, right? It's not like an Eric Sprott 9.9-er. It's 19%. You're getting close to that 20% number. That gets our attention. When someone you know buys a fifth of the stock, 
or owns a fifth of the stock, yeah. possible JV opportunity, possible takeover opportunity down the road um, is more likely, right? Um, and I'm most excited in the near term about their PEA, which is on uh, the, the, the Chimo mine, um, and uh, seeing what that looks like because the Cadillac break area is some uh, part of Canada that we like a lot. Um, and uh, I think that the numbers will, you know, surprise people to the upside. Um, they already have 2.3 million ounces uh, that they've talked about. So, you know, when you get over that 2 million ounce level, um, the, the majors in the mid-tier start to get more interested in what you're doing. Um, another name in uh, silver, I'd say, would be, you know, in recent news, uh, Guanajuato Silver. Uh, G-Silver is a, a really interesting company in that they bought – Great Panthers assets really cheaply, right? That was our one mistake last year, big mistake, where we owned 0.4% of GPL um, and the company, you know, folded basically. But they went in smartly and bought the assets for like less than $15 million, like all in. So, I mean, that's, that's what we look for as value managers. Okay, we made a mistake over here, but let's correct that mistake by buying a, a better operator with better management, right, with the same asset that we liked. Um, so that's a silver name that we've started to buy here at 30 cents US. Um, my biggest position that I talked about on the last show, Golden Minerals, I think we'll have some news here between now and March on two of their different properties. Hopefully one will be El Cavar, which is a monster silver play in Argentina that's JV'd with Barrick right now. Um, been waiting on news there for quite some time. Um, and that has gone from where I mentioned the 26 cents to just over 30 now. So it's still, you know, a good value in our view. Um, and, uh, you know, just to throw you one in the, in the, the copper space, since we talked copper, um, I think, you know, world copper right now is, is one of the cheapest names out there. Um, I think I, I mentioned that on your last show. If not, I know I was mentioning it in November, December on other shows because it was like 10 cents. And I'm like, this is, Never going to last. E- either of their projects is worth ten cents in my view alone. Um, one is in Arizona, great jurisdiction. One is in Chile, a um, little bit more, you know, political disturbances there. However, the IRR, the internal rate of return on that mine in Chile, is forty six percent. So when you look at projects over there, they're typically around twenty five thirty is a good number. So I think that Escalonis could get some attention. Uh, you know, either they build it out themselves or they just sell it. Great. Well, before I let you go, could you fill us in on Fennec Consulting and sure. anywhere else you'd like to direct people online? Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, we just started a newsletter two summers ago. So that's a different type of format than most people are probably used to in that I don't try to do 30-page, you know, uh, newsletters, uh, most of my clients don't have time to read that. So right. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I just think that a two to three page summary for, for what I do, um, seems to be a good format. You know, people like that they can get a lot of information quickly. Um, and then what I'll do, Jesse, is I'll highlight a different commodity every issue. So I'll say something about gold like we did, and here's three juniors and here's three, you know, large names that I like, and here's why. And I'll put a couple sentences together on each. Um, Basically, um, we also offer an update service to people, which is macro. So basically, we've got the Fed, Feb 1, right? We had GDP on Thursday. Each of those times and in any type of big news that comes, I'll send an email real time to my clients and let them know, here's what happened. Here's how it affects mining or energy. And, and basically, give them some direction, right? And we talked on your last show, 
GDX 28. So GDX is now 32.31. Nice move, right? We were telling people all the way up, it broke 25. Be ready to go on the buy side. You know, 28, major resistance, broken. On your show, I said it would hit 30. It hit 30, broke through major resistance, right? So it's like we look at the world like taking baby steps, you know. You got to get through all these resistance levels along the way. That's why even though I'm really bullish silver, I still see silver as, you know, at 2360, 25 is problematic, right? Got to get through 25 before we can talk 30. Um, and so we, we, we look at things a little bit differently than most people rather than just throwing a number out there. I think it confuses clients. Like, you know, when you hear $50 silver, well, hell, that only happened twice in, in the entire, like, you know, last hundred years, right? Yeah, so it's like, right. so it's, it's, let's not, let's not think about an outlier. Let's just think about, you know, how do we get through these resistance levels and be patient? Great. Well, I'll put a link to Fennec Consulting's website in the description below. You're on Twitter as well, so I'll put a link to that. And Thanks. great chatting, John, and definitely yeah, have just, to have you on again. Appreciate that. Commodity Culture is a podcast that covers investing in commodities and natural resources. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe so you are always alerted of the latest episodes.